Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about a question that a listener submitted to us. Um, They were reading the scriptures, got a little perplexed at something they found, and we're going to play with it. And here's the question. Does God hate anyone? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some scripture that seems to indicate he does hate certain people. uh, And yet we, uh, we know that he loves the whole world. So how does that work? Does God hate anyone? Yeah, nice, nice light topic for today. So. <laughs> <laughs> we do think this will get into a little bit about the nature and character of God and how to use Scripture to interpret Scripture and some other things will be helpful. So hopefully and this is of interest to you. Well, it's, and it's always hugely important to, uh, if, the, if you have a, you know, if you sense a, uh, what would that be, a paradox or a conflict. Yeah. It's always important to resolve those for your own sense of peace. It is. And you may have an Oikos member who finds themselves asking this very question. Yeah. And then you'll be able to talk about it intelligently. Yeah. And chances are Assuming not high. Assuming we but talk about it intelligently. <laughs> if we don't, you can, you can research You can do yourself. your own research, too. We'll give you something to jump off of. Yeah. So uh, before that, though, John, it is Joker story time. And what do you got for us today? So... I recently was working on some outdoor projects, and I had this great memory. One of my favorite, uh, I have a lot of really isolated memories, just just uh, crystal clear moments. And I think I remember even in the middle of these moments realizing this is pretty special. Mm. And I don't know if that could just be me projecting onto the past. Memory's pretty uh, unreliable. Yeah. But these are, uh, this is one of these. So uh, we were, I don't know if I've talked about this much on this podcast, but I was in love with a house that we lived in for about five years. A seven, actually. Seven. I was in there for probably six. Yeah, five, you five went and a half. school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I stayed, I mean, for, I came back as often as I could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this was a house on uh, Tilly Road, so I called it the Tilly House. You know, there's plenty of houses on Tilly Road, but to me, this is the Tilly House. Mm-hmm. And it was on a hill, and it had a big uh, porch ran along the, the back of it, so... And big windows, so basically at all times you could see all across the uh, uh, Tomato Valley. You could see it's the airport. A, yeah, it's called a territorial view. Okay. You could see on really clear days, you could see 120 miles. You could see all the way to the, uh, we could see the Olympic Mountains mm-hmm. way back on a clear day. But on most days, you could see the Tomato uh, Water Tower, mm-hmm. and you could pull out your binoculars and make out the painted trees on it. Uh, this was like, it's weird because we we got there when I was 15. Yeah. And so you think it's not not technically my childhood home, but when you guys moved, even though I'd already left for college, and then at, when you sold it, I think I was married. You were, uh, and so actually we we sold it. Oh, after I, your wedding, but we moved right. into this home during my honeymoon. The, the, yes, during your honeymoon. Yeah. So, uh, as an adult, no no hard feelings. I get it, <laughs> but my emotional. Thanks, thanks I, for thanks for forgiving us. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. But I mourned that house, like seriously, yeah, like nights of just just yeah. depression about this house and great memories. And uh, so one of these memories, though, uh, was recently, like I said, recently I was I was stacking wood and I had a memory of stacking wood at the Tilly house. It had mm-hmm. this cool little um, 
uh, section underneath the porch that was covered with tin and then bordered by cinder blocks so that it was not, you know, upright against the house. And uh, this was a winter uh, afternoon slash evening. And uh, it was me and you, my dad, and uh, and my cousin Ben. Hmm. And uh, not entirely sure why he was there. He was He's around a lot. I love my cousin Ben. And the reason I remembered this is because I actually, for this job, I had... I hired my cousin also to help me because it was such uh laborious work and he just never gets tired he does yeah so uh on a day much like this it was at the tilly house winter and so we're we pulled my truck down to the back of the house mm-hmm. so we and it's loaded high with wood and me and ben are stacking wood and i think you went up to do something else at this point we got it all down there you said all right boys Take care I, of it. I try to avoid work every time I can. <laughs> it's your house. I, it, was, it was all right. So me and Ben, you know, you turn. So the way it is, if you're facing the back end of the house, your back is to the view. And when you turn to look at the view, your back to the house. So I would turn to get wood from the truck and put it in the on the wood rack. And every time I would turn back around, you get, it was a it was a fairly clear view, but there were clouds. And uh, slowly, very slowly, a wall of snow was coming in. Mm. You could see just every time you would turn to stack the wood, turn back to get more wood, it would be a little less clear. And eventually you could watch it almost in real time, just this curtain of very fat flaked, slow falling wow, snow. that sounds beautiful. It was amazing. And so eventually it's just there and it's not very windy. It doesn't even feel particularly cold, just really soft snow falling and me and Ben stacking wood. And then afterwards, and it gets dark so early, you know, that it's now it's basically dusk. And so we finish, we go upstairs, and mom has made some kind of beef stew, just mm-hmm. this just really rich, <laughs> dark, warm beef stew. It was amazing. And I just ate that. I was with my family in the warm house after stacking wood in the snow or in the snowing, the, the yeah, snowfall. Yeah. And it was amazing. That's the whole story. That's serendipitous, man. You're bringing tears to my glass eye. Well, these are the moments that I've mean that just completely isolated. And I've said that funny, but I don't mean to mock it. I mean, I I, oh. I, I was experiencing the moment as you're describing it. I thought you were mocking. I, I well, I was, but I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't mean it in a mocking way. I was gotcha. just being silly. I uh, because I know the view so well, and the soft big flake snow just falling because there's no wind. Yeah, you know, it was a very great description. And uh, that is, that's living good right there. It was, it was really what I chase now as an adult. I think, how much money would I have to make to get back to a a situation (laughs) like that? Uh, And obviously, I don't ever, I'll never live in that house again. But but when I think of my selfish, uh, self-serving aspirations, it's land and and things like that. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But uh, anyway, that's a little off topic. But just just a very sentimental moment of mine. Love my cousin Ben. I like to I like to brag on him, and uh, yeah, it's yeah, a good time. That's awesome. All right, shall we dive into this um, very inspirational topic? <laughs> I think I, what I love about this topic is we don't often um, talk about the what's the word I'm looking for the the personality of the father. He is so mysterious right. and so distant. Right. It's, it's hard to. So I, I kind of relish the opportunity to discuss the father the 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 top of the trinity right if there is such a thing yeah yeah so this was the message i got from one of our listeners okay i don't know if this is a personal question or a podcast suggestion but in my reading today both psalms 11 5 and 5 5 it makes reference to god hating people specifically those who love violence or those who do wrong 
I'm struggling with that. How can I, how can God hate a person? I get hate the sin, the sin, but I, if I read this, it's the person, not the behavior that he hates. So question, if God loves everybody and nothing can separate us from the love of God, then how is it that David writes of God hating people? Mm-hmm. And then you jump over to Psalm twelve six, where it says the words of the Lord are flawless. So if this is the word of God and the word of God is flawless, how do we reconcile God hating somebody in these two verses? We would add Romans 9, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we reconcile that God hating something or someone with the God who is love? And for the um, the second part about the scripture being flawless, that is our operating understanding for all of these questions is is banking on uh, scripture being bulletproof. So just just for for your context, for us talking about this in all of our uh, discussions that, that we're, we're you know relying on that fact. Yeah. So we have a bias that the word of God is correct. It is flawless. If there's a problem with it, then we're just having a problem understanding it. Yeah. But it is true. So my initial, uh, I had this thought a long time ago, probably now. Actually, I think I was, I had just started working at the church. So, so last, almost a year ago. And, uh, and we talked about bringing it up here on the podcast, but we thought, you know, we, we want to build up. We don't want to instill doubt. And so we had thought, what's really the point of talking about that publicly? Right. Because who does that edify? Um, and but, we don't want to cause someone to second guess their faith. Totally. So, but my kind of realization was that uh, generally, culturally in the church, we talk about how God is our, is the father of humanity, all, all humanity. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the father. And, uh, but then I was looking at the kind of model of salvation that Jesus talks about, and it is adoption into the family. And that's his earthly metaphor for being in Christ. Like that's how, that's, that's how that goes. And, you know, it's very familial. That's kind of, it conveys the intimacy. So, you know, where is when, when his uh, mom and brother come to see him and the people tell him they're there and he says, who is my mother and brother, but the people who do the will of my father, this right. is, you know, the family of God. And so that is criteria. That is who is my family? Who is a, a fellow son of God with Jesus, but the one that does my, the will of my father. And in John one, he came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many as did receive him, he gave them the right mm-hmm. to become children of God. Exactly. So this, so is, they're not already children of God. They have the right to become children of God. So originally this was an aha for me on the um, conundrum of, of hell, which this episode isn't particularly about, <laughs> but um, it fits. It does fit. The, the question of how does, how can God do this to his kids? Right. The answer in this particular model is he doesn't do it to his kids. He, he, in the literal sense is the father of Adam and Adam is the father of us. So he is the progenitor of the species, Mm -hmm. but he is the spiritual father to those who do his will and to who become his children. Yeah. So that was my original or my, my go-to aha with this kind of question is that the idea of God having hate, which sounds, you know, even saying that feels weird. Um, if that were true, it wouldn't be for his spiritual children. Right. And so we're, uh, we're going to unpack some words here in these passages, Mm -hmm. but to stay with the one you're talking about there, this concept of, um, adoption that we're not, we're not, um, inherently in God's family. We are adopted into his family. Yeah. And that adoption is very Roman. The new Testament, uh, concept of adoption is the Roman concept, which is 
in the Roman world, um, once a person is adopted, they have all the equal rights of a male heir, and that adoption can never be reversed. And I think even legally, there is no distinction in the Roman Between culture. Between birth kids, yeah. 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 So this is the concept being uh, portrayed to us in the New Testament, is that this is what God does for us through Jesus. Yeah. And we become adopted into his family. So, um, but we decided to do... And, and a lot of uh, the uh, calls for us to love are to love your brother and sister, mm-hmm. uh, to edify your brother and sister. There's a ton of that is rarely love everybody. It's, it's usually love your brother and sister. Uh, do not charge your brother and sister interest. Mm. Uh, show compassion. Forgive your brother and sister. Do not hold a grudge against your brother or sister. There's a ton of that familial language, language even in the instructions for us to be loving. For sure. And uh, where did you first go with this, with this question? Well, I, I, I wanted to understand the word hate, so I, yeah. I did a word study. I looked at the verses that uh, were mentioned, so let's read them. The first one is Psalm 15:5, and it says, The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. Hmm. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. And so that's the first one that talks about God hating. The second one is Psalm 5.5. 5. And this is where it says, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, the bloodthirsty and deceitful. You, Lord, detest. Mm. So the question is, does God hate these people? Does he hate evildoers with a passion? Right. <laughs> and does he hate all who tell lies and yeah. hate uh, the arrogant and those who do wrong? So uh, it's interesting. The first thing I wanted to do was understand the word hate, by the way. In its original language. In, in the original Hebrew there. And in both of those verses, it is, in fact, the same word. Okay. Lots of, lots of these languages have multiple words that, that could be translated that way. Mm-hmm. In this case, it is the same word. Then we thought about Romans 9, which is a very complicated conversation about uh, divine election, where it says, before they were born and before either one had done good or bad, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Mm-hmm. And so there's the hate too. Did God hate Esau before he was even born? Right. In the, yeah, yeah. And the so world. these are powerful questions. So uh, what's interesting is the Greek word for hate in Romans 9 carries the same uh, ethos as the Hebrew word in Psalms 11 and Psalm 5. So, so that means that Paul was doing a good translation there. From he is. He's, he's using that word the same way the Old Testament uses it. Paul is an Old Testament scholar. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. And the idea is that God has a strong aversion to, like he, he turns away from. This word, now this is the difference between how you and I might hate someone mm-hmm. and how this kind of hate is. When, when we, when humans hate someone, and we're told not to hate anyone, and the reason is that hate is even murder. Anyone, who's, anyone who yeah. hates his brother is a murderer. And uh, again, brother, so that's interesting. But uh, when we hate, we want, we want them hurt. Right. You uh, mentioned, you know, the yeah. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, <laughs> I was explaining. Uh, this is back during that season, but uh, the term schadenfreude. Are you familiar? <laughs> no. And this was last season, right? Yeah. Because they got well, Tom when Brady. They, when they won. But yeah, which is last season. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, but at the time when I was explaining Schadenfreude, 
this was they were not winning. And, no, yeah, and, they started the season really slow. And this was the it's a German phrase meaning um, delight from someone else's misery. <laughs> so you're you're having a good time watching someone have mm-hmm. a hard time. Yeah. And this was I had some real Schadenfreude for Tom Brady losing <laughs> in the beginning of his season with the Buccaneers. And look at him now. Yeah. And so what the, what you're saying is God doesn't have Schadenfreude. Exactly. That is it. That's a human concept. So in this in this uh, if we were to hate someone, which again we believe it's a sin. Uh, it would be they uh, fail a test, they lose a job, and you go, "Yeah, right." You go, "You cheer on, their on. Head. Yeah, yeah, you cheer on their demise." And it doesn't seem like God takes pleasure in, in the demise of anybody, right? And what He's doing here is He's turning away from them, which matches what the Father did with Jesus on the cross. As He's hanging on the cross, the Father turns His face away, mm-hmm. for God cannot look at sin and, and evil. And so uh, Jesus experiences the Father turning his face away from him. Mm-hmm. So that he can which atone. You, which would be the same word be here. You would, you would describe that as hate. The Father hates the Son, but what he does is he has an aversion to him. He avoids him. He turns his back to him. And that's what this word actually means. And here's and, something. Go ahead. Well, it's amazing that Jesus immediately knows. He's, he's so you know, in tune with it, that he feels the moment the father turns from him. And his, and his last words, you know, or one of his last words, father, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right. Because he has turned his back. Right. And so that is the hate that we're talking about. This also helps. This is Ezekiel eighteen twenty three. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Hmm. So God doesn't delight. That's the difference. When we hate, we delight in their demise. God never does that. He turns away. He avoids. He turns away from sin. He turns away from evil. But his love is available. His love continues to remain. Yeah. And he does not delight in the death of the wicked. This seems to me, because we know, because hate in our language is so uh, vile. It is so it is so uh, dark. And uh, it seems to me we're familiar with the language enemy. We can be enemies of, of God. We know this. Yeah. That, that you can be an enemy of God. And this seems to me the same. I wonder if you could say that God is an enemy of the evildoer and the, and the wicked and the, the liar. Yeah. I think even James says anyone who is a friend of the world is at enmity with God, mm-hmm. which is the same etymology. You know, you become God's enemy because your, your affections belong to this world. Yeah. And so you place yourself as an enemy. God doesn't say you're my enemy. Right. But you position yourself that way. You take the field with the opposing team. Yeah, exactly. You, you positioned yourself there. So this yeah. isn't a, uh, and, well, and honestly, in that first Psalm, you, you know, we see, we see humans do evil things. So right. There's a difference between, you know, a guy cheating on his wife, also evil mm-hmm. and, and a, a village being, uh, pillaged and raped and burned to the ground. Like, like, you know, yeah. there's something where you would say that is pure black, dark evil. Mm-hmm. And so there's almost when I, except for coming across that song before I've thought one that kind of makes gut sense. It makes sense in your gut that God would hate in the English term, which we now know he, he doesn't, but that, that person, and it gives you a sense of solace when you, when you see these things going done, it gives you a sense of earthly, um, solace, but we know like, but the 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 reason that isn't true is the uh, Jim Elliot, that tribe that killed Jim Elliot. You could say they loved violence. They were they were a violent, right. xenophobic tribe, and we know the redemption of that tribe that came because of that. So, so God did not hate, obviously, 
that which person. Is, which is what his nature is. Right. Uh, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, in former days, God has spoken to us in various means and various ways through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through his son, hmm. who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. So if you want to know the nature of God, you understand the nature of Jesus. What's the nature of Jesus? Forgive, redeem, suffer on behalf of the wicked, shed his blood for the remission of their sins. This is who God is. And if you, even in the same model, if you want to say, well, what did Jesus, what was he averse to? What did he, what did he despise? What disgusted him? And it was the lukewarm. It was neither cold nor warm. I will spit you from my mouth. That yeah. sounds like the aversion to me. That and sounds like the, the religious people the, who the hurt hypocrites. people, who, yeah. who actually blocked people's way to God. Yeah. That's what really he despised. Yep. And so he would turn his back on that. Yeah. So this is interesting. Do you, what, what struggle do you have uh, remaining about this, John, or what, where do your thoughts go next in this conversation about God's aversion to evildoers and this thing you were talking about, about adoption and being his kid, how does the love of God then, uh, what role does God's love play if he's avoiding, if he's turning away from where does his love come into play in that equation? Yeah. So really the the threads left for me that I don't quite have tied is the wrath of God. Okay. And uh and how that plays into his general pos- or disposition towards love and redemption and forgiveness mm. and how the wrath must be satisfied yeah. because he's a just God. So so where does that come from and and go when he loves when he has a general disposition towards love and forgiveness and redemption. Um the other one is in Romans, we talked about with the uh, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob. Uh, Paul's answer there is not that God did not hate Esau. <laughs> That's not what Paul writes. He says, "He says uh, the potter or the the clay does not get to ask the potter that kind of question." Uh, his exact wording. Do you have it there? I will bring it up. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand. Not by works, but by him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all, because he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whoever I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So, uh, therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say, then, God, how, why does God blame us? Mm. For who can, who can resist his will? If he desires to harden your heart, you can't stop that. And the answer is, but you, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? So that is not a, he doesn't go into the etymology. Well, God didn't actually hate Esau. He, he says this is, uh, this is to show his design and yes. how, how he interacts with people. So that's another one of my, my mm-hmm. big unanswered questions there. Okay. Now let's set that one second because you had a first one. And the first one, do you remember what it was? Because I want to. The I'm, wrath of God. Yeah. So wrath. Um, that's an interesting thing because for God to be holy. Mm-hmm. Evil and holiness cannot stand in his presence. Rebellion, hurting, cursing, killing. God cannot allow injustice to go unaddressed. Mm -hmm. So it must be addressed. But God, out of his love, does not want to pour out his wrath on us. 
Now, some people say, so he poured out his wrath on his own son. Mm-hmm. And I would be among those who say, I'm not sure I want to serve a God or I trust a God who would brutally slaughter his own son for the sake of someone else. Yeah, for sure. But what the truth is here is that the Father, Son, and the Spirit are one God. So who did God pour his wrath on? Himself. Himself. So he jumped on that grenade himself. He did. And so um, it's not like God, I've got, I've got to satisfy my lust for wrath. No, wrath has to happen. It's going to happen. So I'll take the wrath myself and lay my body over the wrath so you don't have to take it. I guess so. My, my question then with the word wrath is similar to the word hate, where for us, that's an emotion. Mm-hmm. That is, I'm angry at you. I'm angry at I'm angry at evil and rebellion and sin and and uh, debauchery and destruction and the way you kill each other and the way you hate each other and the way you hate me. So so then the again, if I'm going to tell the Bible how to put it, right, then it would say in in modern (laughs) English, it would say his punishment because punishment can be stoic. It can be it can be not angry or wrathful or or hateful. Where wrath is of the heart. That is, you know. Well, when you use the word punishment, this is interesting to me because parents will say, I'm going to punish my kid. Mm-hmm. Well, punishment is punitive. Yeah, right. It is to make them pay for what they did, whereas discipline is correction. Hmm. So I think God disciplines those he loves. He corrects us, but he does not punish us. He took our punishment. Punishment's punitive. We don't have to pay back the debt. That's what punishment is. People this way, you know, in, in the prison world, they they used to call it the, uh, it, it was the, um, what am I looking for, John? Um, I'm not sure. You go to prison and you are, uh, you are re-something. Uh, you, Reassigned? No, I'm thinking of the word like rehabilitated or something, you, that there's a word for prisons that has long been used, but that's not Correction? what Correction? Correction yeah. centers? Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> but prisons aren't doing the corrections. They're punishing. Right. Right. <laughs> you you pay your dues because you. Right. Right. God, God's not into punishment. He's into correction. He, he Punishment must be doled out. So he doles it out on himself. Yeah. So let's pivot to the, to the Jacob and Esau thing. The secret key for me there is foreknowledge. Sure. Um, those whom God foreknew. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what God foreknows is that Jacob is going to love God and Esau is not. Right. Because I know that Pharaoh, you know, in the same passage, it talks about he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, how did he harden Pharaoh's heart? And then it says, well, why is Pharaoh held accountable if God hardens his heart? Well, how does God harden his heart? He pushes his buttons. Mm -hmm. He knows that Pharaoh's arrogant and rebellious, stubborn. So So he has a stuttering 80 year old Jew tell him what to do and he knows that that's going to make him mad i'm not i'm not going to bow to you you 80 year old jew so he's hardening pharaoh's heart with his techniques of confrontation because he knows how pharaoh will react yeah because i know how pharaoh will react i will use his reactions for the eternal story of god in all of creation bottom line to me is whether you like god hate god believe in God, reject God. Think he's fair or not fair. You're still going to serve his purposes because he has the incredible ability to take those who love him and those who hate him and use their lives to reveal God's glory to the world. 
Yeah, if you, I mean, if you know a guy has the cheat codes of the whole universe, <laughs> you probably want to be his friend. You probably want, <laughs> want to be on his team. That's true. Is the word you were looking for reformed? Yes. I just thought of it. The prison reforms. Prison and, reform, yeah. And, and we're going to reform. I, I, I don't, I think rehabilitate is probably the word I was looking for. Well, reformed in this conversation has baggage because of the religious history, the church history. Yeah. But, but I think rehabilitate. We're, it's the it's prison rehabilitation. And, and yet they don't. They don't really rehabilitate. They just incarcerate. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and the big challenge is, well, how can prisons actually rehabilitate people? And they're doing lots of systems to try. I don't mean to condemn the prison system. Like, they didn't even want to do this. Right. It's a complicated thing to accomplish. So um, so does that help you? What are, or do you have more uh, questions about Jacob Esau, love, love and hated well, before they were born? I've got... I've got a big, one more big nugget, and then a few more questions on the implications of this for our daily life. But first, I want to do our media show and tell and our commercial break. Okay. So you're up this week for a a media. Yeah, it's actually not media. It's a product. Okay. And I want to rave about a product I recently discovered. Ooh. We get no compensation for this. Uh, This is not a paid advertisement. Um, But some friends of ours, um, Chad and, and Bethany, started a coffee company. And, oh, yeah. And it's called Ecclesia Coffee. And they are roasting it themselves. And they have a business model that is designed to put the profits back into the communities where the roasting takes place and where the coffee is sold. So they have some incredible dreams um, to bring goodness through the coffee business. Absolutely. And that's awesome by itself. But if the coffee sucked, that wouldn't be that would not persuade me because <laughs> sure. I could just give money straight to charities Rather than give, you know, buy coffee beans and let a portion of that go. But here's the thing. That coffee is freaking good. It's delicious. I was blown away at how good the coffee is. So I don't remember their website. Do you, John? I do not. But I bet you if you Google Ecclesia Coffee, you'll find you'll it. find it. And I think it's EcclesiaCoffee.com. But um, I'm not t- certain about that. But it's mail order coffee only. And um, you pay a shipping fee. And just to be transparent, the shipping fee doesn't cover the actual shipping. They want to get this out and get people uh, um, exposed to the coffee. So right now they're underwriting a portion of the shipping. So uh, they're doing their best to keep it affordable and, and make it accessible. But I will tell you, it's darn good coffee. And I don't know if this helps or hurts my testimony for this coffee. I love coffee to death. I love dark coffee. I drink just black espresso is my favorite. When I got COVID, my senses got out of whack. Mm. And now a lot of espresso tastes really funky. And Ecclesia's coffee tastes sweet and delicious to me. I have no idea what it is. So, so if, you're, if your taste buds are jacked up, you're going to love this COVID, stuff. You, exactly. That's why I don't know if it helps or hurts. But you, your taste buds I are I never lost my taste. And you love it. And I love it. So, and on the other end of that, if you have messed up, COVID taste buds, it might work for you too. Who knows? Who knows? Because I am all about it. I think this stuff is delicious. Me too. All right. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives. 
and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. Welcome back. Uh, this is episode 124. Oh, welcome. Welcome. 124. Yeah, I would uh, normally we request that you tell a friend, subscribe, give us a rating, all those things all the time. But I would also recommend that you go back to our last episode. We had a guest, uh, uh, missionary Tim Sutherland, and he talked a lot about uh, American Christianity and kind of uh, global blind spots as far as our culture and I think it was really great. I, w- I would request that if you haven't listened to that, you go back and give that one a listen. Well, there you go. Uh, okay, so so you had one big point uh-huh. and some questions. So uh, my big point is uh, is really the message of that part of Romans, right? What Paul's really saying there um, in not giving an answer. For one, the context there is a little right. different than we've been talking about. He's talking about election and, and mm-hmm. calling and mm-hmm. foreknowledge. But the point of his answer is you have to surrender some things to the understanding of God. Yep. You have to accept your place eventually as the clay and your obsession to need to understand everything is really overrated. And it's not, uh, it's not, it's not, uh, so legitimate that God must bow to it. Right. And there's, um, apologetics is what I'm looking for in apologetics. This answer is, is a no, no, this is a, this is an answer that, that gets you to lose a debate, right? Right. The answer that we can't understand God, but I'm not interested that much in apologetics. Mm -hmm. I think we recently been reading a book that we'll probably talk a little bit more about later. Uh, but, uh, the big point of it is, uh, that you're probably not prioritizing God as much as you think you are. Think you are. So it's that God should not be your top priority, should be your only priority. Mm-hmm. And the part that really, all of that to me felt familiar, it didn't really grab me. The part that grabbed me was uh, the repetition of the slave language in the mm-hmm. New Testament, your relationship mm-hmm. with God. So he, re- I'll, I guess I'll, I have no reason to dance around it. The book is Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. It blew up probably about a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we might talk about it later uh, in greater detail. But he recontextualizes the term Lord. Mm-hmm. As it is the master of a slave. Right. And uh, and so I had this understanding of Lord as king. Because Jesus is is our king. That That's not inaccurate. But when they call him Lord, it is an admission of you are the master. I give you my free mm-hmm. will. I give you my, I'm, I'm now your slave. And slave, obviously for uh, modern Americans, is a, is a really tough word. But, yeah. the, but I think what it was in, in this conversation too it is acknowledging the slave and the master. This, the slave doesn't get to know the will of the master 100% of the time or why he makes the decision. He's not entitled to it. He's not entitled to it. Exactly. And, you know, he contrasted in the book the difference between a servant and a slave. Mm-hmm. A servant offers his service and can withhold that offer. Right. A slave has no rights. Mm-hmm. He is owned or she owned, absolutely owned by the master. And so you you don't have the right to decline. <laughs> right. And so obviously we know that you can walk away from God. Mm-hmm. It's not about that, but it's about if you want to be his, you don't you can't parcel your life out. You can't say I keep this 
from you. I keep this to myself. And this sounds like an arrogant God who needs people to die to him and become his slaves to satisfy his crazy ego. The reality is you were designed for this. Your life works best in the context of slavery to God. This is how uh, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can bear no fruit. Mm -hmm. But when it dies, it bears much fruit. Your life bears the most fruit when it is dead to yourself and alive to God. This is the pathway to renovation, renewal, love, uh, grace, comprehension, fulfillment. This is the path is to die. Well, and the truth of it is, so I'm <laughs> two different poets. Bob Dylan yep. says, you got to serve somebody. Yep. That's, that's very real. You got to serve somebody. Yeah, don't do that. But you do got to serve somebody. <laughs> so you're either going to serve, you're, you will be a slave, and it's either to God where yep. you'll find more freedom than you've ever known in your own personal torment, or it'll be to your whims and your fancies and people mm-hmm. who are stronger and have more power than you. And uh, the other one is T.S. Eliot mm. in The Four Quartets. He says, you have a choice in the world of fire or fire, death by pyre or pyre. You can either burn uh, a, a mortal death and punishment, or you can burn with the fire of the spirit, die to yourself and suffer a, a death here and live and be refined. You're dying either way. You're getting burned either way, Mm -hmm. but you can choose the better of the two. That's really interesting. And it's, it's true. So it's not that you get a choice to be a free man or a slave. You get a choice to be which slave you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the mercy and the miracle of it is that your, your slavehood to God is incredibly freeing it frees you from all the things you wish he is the gracious uh, serving master yeah and and the point in this conversation is that 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 um like you said makes it so you are not entitled to right a lot of these answers and that's why i think the in an apologetic sense this answer is not useful (laughs) you want an answer right i think i'm entitled oh yeah (laughs) i don't give a damn what you think you're entitled to (laughs) <laughs> I want the truth. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. There you go. Great scene. Every time it's on TV, I watch that. Scene. I know. And I, if it's when I turn it on, it'll be like thirty minutes from that scene. Mm-hmm. I will sit there no matter what I got going and wait for that scene. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, man, this is a great conversation, and, and I got to tell you that that swells my heart. Um, I, even as I hear that, it builds my faith. Mm-hmm. It it I I my soul rings true to that. That is truth. Mm-hmm. I must die that I might live. Uh, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake will find it. Exactly. This is, man, this is true. This is true. So my only other, uh, my last little uh, kind of, it's weird because I don't, I feel like we came into this, uh, we had done research and we, and we came into this a little more comfortable, less questions mm-hmm. and more. So I feel like we're both kind of just, sharing instead of instead of questions and answers so yeah, yeah but i do i think we both feel very passionate about this the other is i was concerned about the implications for this as far as saying we serve a god who can hate somebody or mm-hmm. who can you know turn destroy somebody turn yeah. his back on somebody and you know we are taught not to do that mm-hmm. we're taught to pursue to lay down to be mm-hmm. the servant and uh and i just wanted to say that the Jesus is our model. The father is not our model. So Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh is the ideal human being who we should try our very darndest or die to ourselves very darndest to become. But we don't get the authority of the father. We can't judge people the way the father does. We can't 
make judgment calls the way the father does. Do, do you follow? Yeah, that's a great that's a great distinctive. We have access to the father through the son, right? And the son is the firstborn among many brothers, so he demonstrates to us what it is to be adopted, and what it is to be an heir, and what it is to be faithful to the father. Mm-hmm. So he leads the way for us and gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to follow him. The father is the one who owns us all. Yeah, and Jesus, uh, being the servant king gives himself to the to the will of violent men men mm-hmm. that the psalm would say in our translation that god hates he submits himself to them and forgives them while being murdered so yeah, that man, is that our, is crazy that is our call so you could look at this in a certain sense and be like well if god hates him i hate him you know but you don't get to do that because the father is holy and perfect and the judge yeah our call is to forgive seven times so in a we, day yeah so we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly right not to our own sense of justice and our own sense of need for revenge or our own scorecard we entrust ourselves to the father who judges justly just like jesus did that's what it says of him and part of that and again that goes back to being the slave is you you leave that to the master mm-hmm. and uh and so that's why a lot of this i think paul you could say what he said was harsh to say, I'm not going to tell you the answer to that. Mm-hmm. None your business. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but the truth of it is that uh, it doesn't tr- truly affect our uh, uh, following, our discipleship. Well, and in some ways he's saying it's it's not a question worth asking mm-hmm. or answering. Um, you, you're asking the wrong question and you're fixating on the wrong thing. But I do, the value of it, like we said in the beginning, is if this did become a a very core structural doubt mm-hmm. to your, to your faith, you know, a crack in the pillar that was uh, dangerous. It's important to know because you wonder, you know, how do I get my arms around this? Well, and how, yeah. Could God really hate? Cause if I was thought earlier, cause this, it wasn't easy for me, but with Esau, if, if God can hate one flesh and blood man, then he can hate us. He all. could hate many of them. Yeah. Um, so I think the etymology of the word, I think all of that is, is an important distinction that he does not delight in the destruction of even Esau. Is you know, yeah. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Son of Man came into the world not to condemn it, but to that it might have life in His name. His love is offered to all; it is rejected by many. When when people reject His love, He avo- He averts from them; He turns His back mm-hmm. to them, and they receive them the due penalty of their sin. They bear in their bodies the consequences of their own behaviors and he gives us over to what ourselves and the free will that they use to not choose him is also a gift of love it is to say that that i will not make anybody love me yeah the, the, the choice there yeah i love you enough to let you love whatever you want to love yeah man what a god it's pretty amazing stuff i hope this was uh helpful and this was a listener question Yep. So if you have, send us more, yeah. If you have uh, questions like this, where you think I just can't get my arms around it, and if uh, Google hasn't helped, maybe we could talk about <laughs> it and do our best. But yeah. uh, we love you guys. Yep. Thanks uh, for listening. Yeah, Dad. How can they reach us? You can reach us at info at jimandjohn dot com. No H in the John. Our website jimandjohn dot com. You can go to Instagram Jim and John. And in our uh, bio is a link tree that'll get you to everything we do. Mm -hmm. And that's the simplest way to do it. And we are grateful for your engagement. Awesome. We will see you guys next week for 125.